Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. Now I have a juicy episode for you and a returning guest is the one and only, the hypertrophy coach is Joe Bennett. How are we doing? Doing great, man. No complaints. Awesome, man. It's a pleasure to have you back on the podcast. I think I speak for myself and everyone here in the UK bodybuilding scene to say a massive well done and congrats on your athlete Terence's placing in the Olympia. Um, that must yeah, have, thank you. That must have felt awesome. Yeah, that was, uh, that's pretty epic. Yeah. I said, I said that to a lot of people. I mean, honestly, uh, I mean, anybody that doesn't know, um, you know, my own personal competing, I don't, uh, as far as placing and you know, how I do and all that, I don't take that seriously when I did, um, I would take very seriously the process, but didn't really care a whole lot actually how I did it stuff as long as I was getting better. So I say even on, on stage or off stage, that's probably one of the best, um, show experiences, um, I've been at. So yeah, it was, it was awesome. Everything about it was, it was great. Something really special. Um, so yeah, everything, everything around it, I'll definitely stick out and, uh, you know, definitely be a, a positive uh, memory and stuff for quite some time. And that must've felt amazing because you've been part of Terence's journey for a few years now and to see him sort of yeah. climb up the ranks and be where he deservedly should have been. Um, yeah. must've been special. There's a lot of people in the UK um, that wanted me to, to ask you what the Olympia was like. <laughs> what yeah. It felt like, cause because we, we weren't allowed in the, uh, I don't think we're allowed in the States as of yet. Um, yeah. If you were to compare sort of this Olympia, I know this is a special one versus previous years, you know, yeah. was there a different feeling, a different vibe, or was it very much the same? No, it was completely different, honestly. Um, you know, so just as a matter of semantics, the only thing that was, you know, hugely different from previous Olympias, if anyone hasn't been before, is there's, there's normally a, an expo, which is massive, you know, which there's, you'll have hundreds of thousands of people come to the expo, uh, just to be by, you know, vendors and booths and, you know, see their, you know, athletes and, you know, fitness, whatever, uh, celebrities, whatever term you want to use. Um, so that was the only thing, basically, one, I think, with the scramble, but two, realistically, not having hundreds and thousands of people moving in and out of a building. The the expo was really, really downsized, you know, so I think they had maybe, you know, 20 booths from supplements. So that was a little bit of the only thing that was kind of different. Um, and again, that part's normally fun, right? Obviously, it's fun to kind of get in and you can obviously shake hands with people, talk to people, whatever, which is great. Um, so that obviously just with the climate of everything going on in the world and the scramble to move the Olympia was obviously the only thing missing a little bit, but the actual show and the show experience itself. Um, and I've been to at least, I don't even know, I'd have to count, but I've been to at least 10 plus Olympias. Um, and it was probably, I mean, for myself, it was, it was the best one that I've been to honestly, and, and not just for the obvious outcome of Terrence. Um, but they did an amazing job. So the moving it from Vegas where they were already going to move locations, you know, so even prior to everyone with uh, the Olympia being bought by someone different um, and everything that we already knew the venue was going to change, you know, they'd announced that, you know, previously that it was going to change somewhere in Vegas and everyone didn't really like the venue a whole lot where it was in Vegas. Anyway, the actual stage and auditorium and things were just very mediocre. Um, so the fact that with basically, I think a month before the Olympia, they announced they were going to move it just to make sure they could, you know, know for sure it was going to happen. So honestly, the auditorium, the stage they had set up was unbelievable. I mean, it was like this. I don't even know how long 50, 50 yard, 50 meter long stage um, from side to side, just an unbelievably, you know, well-presented, very nice looking. I mean, it was one of the better looking stages I've been at. Um, and then the whole field of the show, honestly, was, it was amazing. I mean, it was, um, there were so many like very cool, you know, storylines, like in every different class, there was something going on. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we had a lot going on in men's open bodybuilding. Everybody wanted to see what the hell is going to happen. What's, what's Phil going to look like? What's Brandon going to look like? You know, there wasn't, I mean, obviously now in retrospect, there was obviously talk of Rami, you know, but there was always kind of talk of Rami before Olympias anyways, like, oh, here's this guy that could, you know, if he did this. And um, 
So honestly, I thought the whole show was great. I mean, everyone, you know, you always have a little bit of, of opinions afterwards, but I think not that it's still the show's won by judges opinion. And sometimes my opinion matches them. Yeah. Uh, but I honestly thought the judges got it all, you know, very right. Um, you know, in, in person, it was like, right when everybody's kind of coming out, you know, you can kind of see, oh, right, well, Phil doesn't, he looks a little better than maybe his last showing, still not 100%. Brandon, I thought, looked better than his, even when he won. But then you're like, okay, how's he going to look next to Phil? How's he going to look next to Rami? And Rami really did when he came out, had that holy, you know, holy shit effect where everyone's like, okay, like this is definitely something different. Uh, he looked definitively different when he walked out and then we got comparisons. You know, I think they got it right. Um, and just awesome storylines. The 212 was awesome with Sean, Sean Clarita. That was one of the, everybody was talking about that where it's again, I mean, one, it's pretty rare for a guy that weighs 175 pounds to win the 212, right? You know, so it's a guy that's got 40 pounds to go against some of his other competitors yeah. and still won. And he had that same thing. Like when, you know, there in person, that kind of stuff is awesome where, you know, people walk out on stage and you're just like, Oh, Holy shit. Like he literally, like, you could hear when he walked out, like the whole, the auditorium, everyone in it was just like, you could hear an audible noise. I don't even know how to make the noise, but it's cool. I mean, that's the stuff you want. I mean, I've seen that at show. The funny thing is, it's, I don't know if it's because of the day and age we live in. Everyone's seen so many coming up at the shows now. And not that I was at shows 20 years ago, but coming up at shows now, everyone's seen, you know, progress picks. We've seen it, the good, the bad with filter, good lighting, bad lighting, whatever, all this kind of stuff. So I think because you see so much ahead of shows, sometimes you lose that effect where before I can't imagine what it must've been like with like Dorian or Ronnie Coleman, the first time they're walking out on stage and you don't see a picture, especially Dorian, the Dorian effect. You, you didn't see the guy all year. And then he'd show up on stage and people would, I'm sure just like, I even remember seeing that, you know, you watch pumping iron, you watch clips of videos of guys going to shows in the seventies and people in the audience are just like losing their minds. I mean, they're screaming like insane person. And I've been at Olympia's now where literally I feel like the audience is like sitting on their hands. They're like, Oh, you know, that looks okay. You know, you, you lose some of the effect, I guess because you see so much ahead of time. And I feel like there was way less of that this show. And I feel like, um, you know, there one, because the athletes brought it, we had a lot of that. Oh, holy shit. People were excited. People were like, you know, they're pumped when people were up on stage or coming out the first time and getting comparisons. And I honestly think maybe it was a combination of obviously everyone's been, you know, locked up. I mean, depending on where people are coming from or whatever, um, you know, there's a lot of people like haven't been out of their house in a long ass time or whatever. So I think it's uh, the whole, there was a very, uh, palpable vibe like in the actual auditorium that people were excited to be there. People were excited to see bodybuilding. Yeah. People were excited to see people get compared. Um, and it was awesome. I mean, the same thing, like I'm, I'm, I, when I'm at a show, I have a couple of my favorites and stuff and obviously people that I know I want to do well, but for me, honestly, I mean, I like, I like Brandon Curry a lot as far as the guys that were in the top three. I, I know him the most personally. I think he's just a great guy. So I was kind of rooting for him. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also just like, well, we'll let the judges do their job and see what happens. And uh, honestly, man, like when, you know, when everyone, they were announcing those, the top three, top four, and when Rami, you know, clearly was the winner. I mean, I, I haven't seen a, a crowd lose their minds like that in a long time. I mean, literally, like I, I was like, it was the only time of the whole thing. I like to watch the show. I try not to take pictures or film, like just be present. But I'm like, I'm going to film this just out of curiosity, what's going to happen. And it literally, so I have my camera and all of a sudden everybody just fucking jumps up and loses their minds and screams. And uh, it was wild, man. It was great. Um, so yeah, the overall, the show was awesome. It was just from, from the actual, a lot of storylines. I mean, for me, it was amazing. I like, I'm super grateful. I got to see Dexter his last time. Um, there was stuff with that too, where being there was like, um, I've never seen the crowd respond to certain things. Like, I don't, I don't know if you could see it on the video or whatever, but when he came out for his um, individual posing, so for prejudging, you know, they all come out for their individual posing by themselves. Yeah. When he came out, 
um, the entire audience stood, you know, nobody said, Hey, stand for Dexter Jackson. Like he just came out, was about to get going and everybody just had a standing ovation. And um, I mean, it was awesome. I mean, that's the stuff you want. We were trying to really take in like how long this guy has been competing at a high level stuff that doesn't make sense and how I, I have no idea what the hell that must feel like, but it's obviously has to be emotional. Hell it was as emotional as hell. And uh, basically he just kind of was up there. You know, you could see tears coming down his face before he could even start posing. You know, when he came out of the night show, I thought it was very cool. Whoever organizes this stuff, they had his entire family came on the stage. I mean, his entire family, like 20 plus people. <laughs> and um, it was, it was awesome. I mean, literally I've never seen them. They literally like letting people come on stage when he's supposed to be doing his posing routine. You know, normally obviously they're trying to run the show and do the things they're supposed to do, but it was nice for them to be like, realize, well, the only reason this is popular is because of the athletes and how they inspire people or people that want to see them. And so stories like that, um, it was, the whole thing was cool. And obviously as I'm friends with Hunter, it was great to see him getting on stage um, the Olympia stage for the first time has had a great year. It's uh, exciting to see him and Ian stand next to each other again. A lot of people wanted to see that happen again. Um, and then again, obviously the, the classic, I'm a little bit biased, but you know, that was a, that was a class where, I mean, obviously everybody kind of thought it was just going to be Breon um, and uh, Bumstead again. Yeah. Um, and I honestly, I, you know, I knew how much we brought up Terrence's physique and I knew how much he could basically be in the mix uh, but there's always this little, like, I'm, I always told Terrence, like, I'm not like the hype man, right? So I'm not going to like the fake hype man. I'm not going to, I was very, very confident with what we were bringing that I knew it was definitively better than, you know, anything he had on stage before. And we had that effect a little bit at the Arnold where that was really the first time I was like, all right, now we're really presenting something that of what he's capable of doing. And the fact that we definitely improved from the Arnold to the Olympia, I was very, very excited. Um, and I've said this a bunch, but I think everybody knows John Meadows does his nutrition and everything. And I think John Meadows does such a good job. Um, where I think they even they peaked him even a little bit better um, for this go around. Um, so for the Olympia, because a little bit like it's people don't people are such harsh critics. And even though John, I think John's approach is great because he's very kind of minimal. I mean, it's like if a guy looks great, you don't have to do a whole lot. Everybody thinks there's this peak week magic. Some of the, the some of the magic is just leaving them alone, letting them wake up, get a little pump and go pose on stage. And um, so they I think he figured out really well with him at the Arnold. Uh, which is great considering that's the first time they work together for peaking, uh, which is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, and then I think they got it even better at the Olympia. So, you know, there's the, my, honestly, my biggest fear is that the reality isn't that this is, this it is what it is. I mean, bodybuilding is bodybuilding, how much muscle you have as a part of it. Meaning, you know, Terrence is five, five or five, six. And, you know, Chris, I think is six foot or six one, you know, so he's always going to have 40 plus pounds on Terrence, no matter what, just because of the weight limits. And so, I mean, there's, I know there were a lot of bigger guys up there. And so I'm half of it. You're always worried. It's like, well, I, I know what Terrence's physique is looks like compared to everyone else. He's, we're getting near perfect. And I was like, is he just going to get the looks and the call outs that he deserves? Um, and so literally a prejudging when it was very clear, obviously getting the first call outs and then the way they moved him around where it's pretty clear he was the top three. I mean, I was, that was it. I mean, it's prejudging, you know, the whole story. I was freaking pumped. And, um, and again, I like, uh, I like Brian, nothing against his physique at all. And honestly, he doesn't, he's not really missing anything. Um, but in my opinion, it's looking at him like Terrence, it's a tough thing to really quantify for people. It's muscle bellies, you know, bone structure, but Terrence just has, you know, great flow. So stuff that obviously you can't even train as well too. So just literally the way, you know, his muscles insert, the way they look next to each other, the way, again, his bone structure is, his hip is clavicle width, stuff like that. Um, he just has, again, I'm biased, but I think he has pretty much near perfect physique. I think he has better structure and it's better body part by body part um, than Chris as well too. Um, but again, Chris, I, Chris is my, I say he's my second favorite <laughs> classic <laughs> physique guy. I mean, he, he was totally deserving of the win. So if I don't say any of that trying to imply, Oh, Terrence should have beat him because he's got better. But you know, when you're there in person, 
you know, there's people, that's the thing. People will look at pictures and they'll be like, oh, well, look at this body part to that body part and compare yeah. this. And everyone's always like a judge after the show. And it's like that what you see at the show and when they actually set and hit a pose is the biggest part of it. But you don't see this stuff too, where they're next to each other. They transition, they're moving from pose to pose. That's the stuff that people miss. And that has a big impact. I mean, honestly, judges, I mean, they're starting to score a guy when he's walking out on stage. I mean, I don't care what anybody says before you hit your first pose, you're taking in information and seeing what's there. Yeah. And uh, so in person, I mean, Chris is so, he's so big and has a very good physique, did an amazing job of bringing stuff up. Again, I think it was well-deserved. Um, but I just think Terrence has, again, we're, we're, we're approaching a near perfect physique and we're just going to keep bringing something crazier and crazier. So all that being said, it was, it was nice that he got the call-outs that he did. I was just super ecstatic basically after prejudging where it was clear he's going to be top three, which is what I felt he deserved. Um, honestly, we were both a little extra excited that he beat Breon. I mean, I was, again, that was my opinion that he would, but then you never know what the judges think. And I wouldn't have argued if Terrence got third, to be honest, because again, Breon doesn't have anything that you look at and be like, Oh, well that's, you know, definitively worse or better than Terrence. It's again, one of those things where he's great body part by body part. It's just a preference of structure. So yeah, everything was great. And literally watching that dynamic as well too. I mean, it's, I think um trying to step back from a fan standpoint, the dynamic on stage between Chris and Breon was a very specific thing over the past few years. Yep. And there's a completely different dynamic on stage between Chris and Terrence, which I think is better just for whatever that means um, where it's just, it's a little bit more clear to me that yes, they both want to beat each other definitively, but they're also, there's a lot of respect there. They were clearly having a good time on stage. Um, and I think, again, that kind of stuff is, it's awesome. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, you, you want people's physiques to be the main thing we're judging and we're going by, but the, por- the sport wouldn't exist if there wasn't an ent- entertainment component, right? I mean, if people didn't like it, then it wouldn't matter who no one would give a shit about who's got a great physique with four people watching. Yep. Um, so just like their interaction, their dynamic. I thought all that was really, really good. I, I saw, and, um, I think, I think Brion got moved and Terrence got put right beside Chris and he like gave him like a pat on the back. and was like, yeah, I got moved. I yeah. was like, from, from like a, a fan standpoint, I was like, that's good to see the, yeah. the whole, like, you know, you looked at sort of Phil and Kai years ago, like John each other. That's not really, yeah. that's not really fun, but it, it was awesome to see that. And I think yeah. that, that how you have helped Terence bring up his back was was phenomenal, and I guess that was kind of one of the topics of the, today's episode about sort of just lagging body parts. It doesn't need to be in reference to just Terence's back, and just yeah. a lot of people are wondering what the hypertrophy coach's um, sort of philosophy is when it comes to bringing up body parts. And I know that you can literally talk about this for a twenty-four yeah. <laughs> hour podcast, but if you sort of took say Terence's back shot at the Arnold's or before that or last year, a couple of years ago, and you said, right, we're bringing that up. What would be your thought process in regards to, would you say, right, we're going to hit that twice a week. We're going to set this amount of volume. We're going to set it, see how it goes. Maybe after eight weeks, we'll, we'll add a couple of sets here or there. Where, where would you go with that? Um, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the part of that that I'll try and keep more concise is the execution part. Uh, because again, for anybody that doesn't know, I've been working with Terrence for, uh, we, we even have to kind of look back. It's like, that's the nice part of having like Instagram and shit is it remembers stuff for you that I would never remember. Um, because again, I remember, you know, experiences and I can remember many sessions that we have. I just don't remember what date it took place. on. But so we've been working together for over four years or close to four years. Um, so in the beginning, you know, looking at his physique, there's a component of one, you know, seeing the potential there where his structure, his muscle bellies, him being a pro before I even met him, obviously is, you know, I can't take credit for stuff that I could, that had nothing to do with, you know, so obviously there's a shit ton of potential there already had done well um, before we'd ever worked together. And then looking at it, it's like the same for anybody else before I even say, okay, well, what are we going to do as far as 
on paper stuff. Well, what's the split to bring stuff up? What's the exercises? I don't think about any of that. Um, it's literally just let's get in and get some sessions together. And so most time when I have people come in, uh, honestly, the first conversations are like, well, what do you want to work on? You know, what would you normally train today? What are the exercises and stuff you normally do? So I honestly try and start with where people are already at uh, because, you know, so many things, even though there's a perfect on paper, that's the thing people miss. If I might say, hey, here's, here's this one thing that's my favorite for this body part or my favorite place to start. When I work with an individual, there could be another six exercises that I think would be also just as close to good. And again, depending on how they view it, how they execute it, how much they like it, I could easily swap those things out. Uh, so I say all that where the first couple of weeks and months and stuff, we worked together where it was him driving like eight hours to come train with me on the weekends. Um, we were just training. I didn't really think about let's fix your split. Let's fix this. It was like, let's just go through body part by body part and see what we got. Um, so in the beginning, it was like, that's the biggest step that most people miss is they think there is some magical on paper stuff uh, that's going to um, fix things. Um, and if you don't standardize, you know, the, the base metric of that on paper stuff, which is one rep, then all the rest doesn't matter. Right. You know, cause everybody there's regardless of what people say, there's a huge component of how you're doing things as opposed to the, what you're doing. So again, I always make the joke where if like, if you know, your lagging body part I, without exception, I've seen it, seen it is there's execution is arguably what I've seen the bigger part of why it's missing as far as before we get to the on paper stuff. So I say, if I look at somebody and they got a lagging body part, normally they don't feel it well. Maybe their form's not great. Exercise like some, but whatever, something is making that it's shit. It's a shit. I look at the way they do it. I'm like, well, that's shit. And so I joke is if, if, if one rep is shit, then what multiplications of that one rep aren't going to do anything, you know? And if one rep is shit anywhere, like if someone's ability to use a muscle and understand how it works is separate of exercise, you know, that has to kind of come first is okay. Here's the basic function of this. Here's some concerns with my structure, kind of getting that thing first. And then you start to plug it in with exercises. And then you start to look at the, you know, the X's and O's, the numbers on paper. Um, you know, so right away with him, it was like, let's just get in and train. And then over time, it became pretty apparent. It's like, okay, he's got, you know, he had great quads long before we had ever worked together. Um, and then he also, he's always had a very good back, you know, so I can't take too much credit for his back at all. Like, honestly, with his back, half of it is like, don't get him injured and just keep it progressing. You know, the things that really really looking at was this whole upper body really just needed to come up. I mean, I'd probably say arms the most, then maybe delts chest a little bit. And then again, things, even good body parts, his back still just needed to be bigger relative to his lower body. You know, so once we've had that kind of figured out, we've just basically um, been, been prioritizing, you know, those lagging body parts over those strong body parts for, for a few years now. And we basically just make small adjustments um, after that as well, too, where it was just a matter at first of just uh, once we had execution on point, you know, just going with more frequency um, relative to other body parts, you know, so it'd be very typical for us to have arms, you know, twice in a week and other body parts would be once or delts twice in a week and other body parts would be once. Um, sometimes we've had things we just, and again, there's on paper stuff. And then with him and see like, well, how much can we recover from? Um, so again, it'd be a matter of, that's the other thing I always tell people too. If you, if you actually have a priority body part, the, the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they just look at that and they don't basically you know, balance out, you know, you've only got so much volume you can recover from, right? So the a big mistake is assuming somebody that a relatively high level, you're, you're going to be near that point of what you're capable of recovering from already. So if you're near that point, you just can't add stuff on top. And that's what most people do. They're like, okay, well, they just completely disregard recovery. That can't be a limiting factor. And they say, I need more arms, just add more arms on top of that. And if you're already at basically near your ceiling, to an extent, it might be doing nothing or potentially could have the negative effect. So I always tell people, you got to look at, here's my priority. 
And at the same time, if I'm actually going to prioritize something, assuming I need a little bit more stimulus there, more volume, whatever, um, then I need to take something else down at the same time. You know, so we've always had his, um, even if it went to the point with um, still very high intensity, and obviously I'm, I'm kind of a little bit more of a lower volume advocate, but taking the working volume down of his quads a long way at times, we've taken the working volume of his back down. Um, and then we've had even to this point, this year was a lot different for his split. Uh, it was one of the first times too, even I'd say for a solid eight months, um, we really, really deprioritized quads um, and most hip extensors type stuff. So his glutes and adductors grow really well. Right. Um, so literally looking within his leg days, his leg days would be what most people would, would consider very unconventional on paper, where we'd start with basically his entire, he'd only have one leg day, so we didn't have to split it up or anything. But his leg day would start with my favorite for hamstrings and works great for him is seated leg curls. Then we would go to a calf raise after that. So we were prioritizing his calves. Um, and then we do more isolation stuff for his quads and ham. So then we'd go basically uh, leg extensions, a lying leg curl. Um, and then we would have all of his compound movements at the very end of the workout. So his only real big thing that was uh, directly training like hip extension or anything was a hack squat, which really isn't, you know, too much of a hip extension exercise anyway, more quads. And then we'd always have lunges or like a prowler or something to finish. Um, and we did that because looking at his physique one, again, knowing his quads didn't need to be much bigger, but two is he's got really big adductors as well too, which is great as long as you have big quads. But in my opinion, like just looking at subtle stuff, there's a lot of guys where if you don't know how to use your quads, well, you don't know how to use other hip extensions. Well, adductors can really start to grow and an adductor too big next to a quad does not look good at all. I mean, it's something where people might not be able to pinpoint it, but again, you can't have huge adductors and small quads. It looks stupid. Um, so anyway, that's half of it was the reason we deprioritized hip extension stuff, even putting hacks at the end, basically after pre-exhausting hams and quads is I just didn't want his glutes or adductors really getting any bigger. Um, so that's probably the most unconventional stuff we did on paper. Pretty much the whole year we ran, um, uh, again, that one leg day we had a, basically everything else was kind of push pull. Um, so we would hit, um, we'd hit a little bit of triceps and biceps on a push pull day. And then we had a dedicated arm day and a dedicated delt day. That was a little bit different for us as well too, keeping that in. Um, and so again, if you look at his, his rear, you know, his, his shots that really, really got better. I mean, pretty much all of them, but especially if you look at something where you have like his rear double bicep, how much that came up, yeah. it's really mainly because, you know, his back would, regardless of if he ever met me, I'm sure it would have kept on growing. It's, it's again, it was a good body part before me. So we just kept doing things that he knew worked there. But if you look at his delts and his arms, uh, they came up massively. So they made the, if you look at his rear double bicep, the comparison, especially looking at those body parts is, is nuts. Um, and so I'd say that was the biggest thing. I honestly, even to an extent delts were kind of almost like a surprise. I think they probably actually grew more than anything. Um, and if I ever have some time, I'll try and get some more comparison shots of that just to kind of show that. Um, but that was stuff, even looking at him and stuff, I think about standing next to Chris and stuff. It's the joke. I even think about like the, the Arnold quote when he's, I mean, he's helping the guy pose and whatever and pumping iron. And the guy's like, well, I can't be as tall as Arnold. So I'm going to try and be as wide. And so I'm, I'm thinking about that. Like when he's next to the bumps, I was like, well, I can't make him any taller, but we're going to make him wide. Um, you know, so I think that would probably be what I, if, as the best I can sum up, you know, really what the approach has been, um, again, is execution something which we put a lot of time and effort into that beginning. We still, obviously it never, never leaves, but there's a lot of times where, again, when we're training at this point, you know, my only purpose really is, is supporting effort, you know, so his ability to train intelligently and appropriately to, and pass failure sometimes, and then coming into a show knowing, I think it helps him outside to have, here's where we're tapering stuff back. So again, cause obviously he as an athlete and a competitive athlete that's going to do whatever it takes, he would literally do whatever I tell him, you know? So it's for some people is have a tough time thinking, okay, when do I actually scale back? When do I lower volume? When do I start to stay shy of failure or whatever it is? 
And again, I think having that outside is saying, look, I'm telling you to do this because it'll have the best result in your physique yeah. and them not having to have that internal battle of, oh man, am I just being, am I being a pussy now? Am I just training? Am I training? Cause your body, I mean, really, if you listen to what your body's saying, nobody wants to train hard at the end of a show anyway. Right. This, everything feels like shit. You're exhausted. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, some people make the mistake of, they feel that way six or eight weeks out and they just start training like a cupcake. And obviously that's not appropriate, <laughs> but there should be a slow taper down in some, some degree with some things. Um, yeah, so that was it. I mean, honestly, it's, um, if there's, again, we've, uh, the split hasn't been drastically different. It's been subtle variations of having more upper body frequency, more arm frequency. And again, this whole year, if there was anything a little bit different, we had a little bit more emphasis on delts. Uh, we really changed up his leg day where the, I was actually the goal of, I don't want your quads getting any bigger at all. I don't want your adductors getting any bigger at all. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of, again, if there's, that was some slightly different stuff with programming that year is that's, that's probably the main things. See, with those sort of like athletes that are have a very, very high level, if you obviously run, a, you'll run the same split for a very, very long time. If you're still in like an improvement phase and you think, you know what, we've brought that body part up, but it's maybe still not growing as much as it could. Would you kind mm -hmm. of go down the route of, you know what, I'm just going to add in, like obviously executions first, but if that was on point, would you say, right, you know what, let's add maybe two sets across the week or let's, mm -hmm. let's just change up the exercises or... Would your mindset just be to bump up volume or would it be a change execution or, or what would that be? Yeah. So it depends. I mean, if, so if I have a notion where, because again, you kind of have to rule out execution first. So that's kind of the prerequisite. Yeah. So let's say execution is pretty good. Um, then yeah, I, I look at where can we add in a little bit more of effective volume. So, and that's, I think that's where there is, people get into it a little bit now where, you know, there's information out there, which is good information, which seems to kind of change or progress or we're trying to figure out looking at research over time is does this volume and how you put it over the course of the week actually matter. Um, and so again, you obviously people saying, even, you know, there was a time when it was basically saying, you know, evidence, especially for beginners and intermediates that you, you want some higher frequency program, like a bro split doesn't make any sense. Hmm. And then now there's funny is there's even more evidence coming out that's saying, well, actually we're, we're showing now in some studies that a bro split actually kind of works. Okay. So whether you're doing, you know, 20 working sets over three sessions or 20 working sets over one session, it doesn't, it's again, from research standpoint, we're kind of having just a little bit of an evolution of the information there. In my opinion, um, it, again, it's, it's, it's neat. I never, I always like to be like, Oh, what are we finding out now? Or what are we, what are we, what are we kind of discovering now that's something that already exists, right? Like that's the whole point of, of uh, research is for sure. You know, the, whatever is best exists again for, you know, the largest percentage of the population, whatever is best exists for an individual everyone's just trying to make educated guesses at it. So the whole point of research where people miss is like, for sure, obviously with Ronnie Coleman being ginormously massive, something he did worked. There's the proof that it worked. And then research helps us feel like, okay, well, what did he do that was valuable to me? And what did he do that's just an outlier to him? Where it's like, okay, well, it seems like him getting progressively stronger over time was a good thing. That'll probably work for me as well too. Then maybe we look at specific exercises, frequency, how much tissue we put on. Obviously, you have all this crazy shit that doesn't relate to anybody. Um, you know, so I mean, it's, I I think it is for even a higher level athlete. I do think frequency can be a valuable tool if the thing they're missing is a higher intensity of stimulus. So I don't care who you are, um, whatever is later in your session. So again, if we say okay, well, twenty sessions doesn't make a difference. Uh, whether we do it, you know, in a bro split, all 20 sessions in one session, or we do, you know, 20 sessions spread out over three, three separate sessions, let's say for a given body part. So it's, you know, seven working sets, seven, seven, whatever it is, 21 working sets over three sessions. I don't care who you are, if, uh, especially once you get to those higher levels, 
the whatever's later in the workout, your intensity, which is a combination, really intensity is just how much force can you produce intramuscular force, in my opinion, which will be a, con, a combination of load and, uh, and execution and effort. How far are you going to take sets? Um, you know, that might not matter or be as impacted as much in my opinion for a beginner and intermediate, you know, again, what they do first and what they do after because of the loads they're using, how far they're taking sets because of their execution. It's just, you're not having that pinpointed or even maybe because of the amount of loads or that level of systemic fatigue where it really doesn't affect that much. Where if you're a higher level athlete, it's like, whatever you put at the end of the, the session, obviously the intensity would be significantly higher. It was at the beginning of a session. So that's the thing I think people miss a little bit is, um, is again, pinpointing, well, what would be the difference between, again, the same amount of volume spread out or same thing? The difference at a higher level is going to have to be intensity. How much force production can you actually have? Um, and so, again, it's, it comes to really trying to figure out making the best educated guesses of what does the athlete need. And so I look at that as how can I get more effective volume into my brain as more higher level of force production? And that's why it always kind of comes to you've got to have a separate day for lagging body parts. It's not just about more volume. It's that more volume at that high of a level that that individual needs at that point in time. But that is worth noting where people, again, will split hairs about, does it matter if it's 20 here or 20 spread out or whatever it is. If your recovery is, um, if it's one, is it shit or two, is it nowhere near the limiting factor? Then that stuff probably doesn't matter as much. Right. You know, so again, is uh, so really that's why again, for beginner intermediate, I would never personally, I wouldn't trash a bro split. I mean, I always say on paper, there's a lot of reasons it makes more sense to have higher frequency. Sure. It's, it probably makes the most sense for someone to start with total body, even sometimes just as a matter of semantics. Um, but I would never, I would never trash the, um, you know, the bro split either. Cause I, at the end of the day, I really think it just kind of comes down to these are things as a coach working with an individual, I would just have conversations with them around like, well, what do you like better? Like, why do you like this better? I mean, there's the whole notion too of, uh, of, again, I, I made this, said this uh, i don't know a while back or made a post about it but saying too that like you know bodybuilding is not powerlifting with a higher rep range you know so people exclude i mean what you're doing internally is important i mean I, the first things i remember reading was pouring over arnold's encyclopedia of modern bodybuilding and he would write so much stuff in there about visualization and what you're thinking about and some like even just completely abstract stuff which again i i try and take that and make it a little bit more concrete as far as you know thinking anatomy or whatever it is but that stuff's really really important and so some of it's a matter of semantics for a new person where it's like, okay, you're going to tell me that I have to do a total body split. Cause when I started, I, I did kind of everything. I did mostly half bodies. And then within a few years, I would do half body splits. I do push pull splits. And one of the things that I found is like, you know, if you're literally doing one exercise per body part, let's say you are doing a full body and it's like, okay, here's this, I've got eight exercises. That's my full body workout. I mean, for me, it was like, I don't have that much time to actually focus on mind muscle connection, actual feeling muscle. It's just moving. Okay. Here's this one. And here's this one. Here's this one. And literally the semantics of moving on from, I did that body. Oh, and now I'm onto this body part. Now I'm onto this body part. It's really demanding in my opinion to actually make sure, am I doing the right things? I'm actually focusing and challenging the muscle on that kind of split. Or am I just, you know, looking at moving from A to B and just beating my logbook and progressive overload over time. And again, it's all both. The problem with all of that is like, people just want to make teams where reality is it's tough because all of that is important. You don't just want to just do this squeezy. Oh, I got great mind muscle connection and you don't have a logbook or you haven't moved up in weight in six months, you've got a big problem. But at the same time, a lot of people are just moving up in weights and not really that aware or concerned about what's moving up. Um, so that's the big thing. It's important for everybody. I mean, if somebody is before you address your split, before you figure out, do I need more frequency? Should I have, you know, all of this within one session, should I have it spread out? You know, that really only makes a difference first. If you really identify what is the, what is the limiting factor in my results? Is it actually, um, is it recovery? Cause if it's recovery, I don't think split matters as much. 
Um, or excuse me, if it isn't recovery, I don't think split matters as much. Um, or is it stimulus? You know, it's obviously maybe I'm at my recovery can't really, you know, my recovery is good or it's wherever it's at. And I actually need more training stimulus. Um, you know, then I think frequency could maybe matter a little bit more. Maybe I do need more frequency at a higher intensity or whatever it is. So it's, it's good for people. I think to take a look at that and really figure out what is the, I think people skip that step. Am I limiting factor recovery or is my liver limiting refactor, a limiting factor, some sort of training stimulus. And then that's when you just start to, uh, and again, I think there's a lot of good information out there, you know, where people really have, there's a lot of programming where people are looking at things like, you know, how much, you know, adjusting my maximal recovery volume, you know, manipulating a lot proximity to failure and changing that over time and progressing that over time. And I think all that's great. Um, but again, I, I honestly just always have a little bit of a tough time with that stuff because it's a great solution because again, 90% of people using those types of programs, they're just going to benefit from just having awareness of what they're doing, following a structured plan. But when I'm with an individual, it just doesn't work like that. You know, that's where my whole, my whole coaching experience doesn't come from doing online coaching. It comes from working with an individual in person. And of course, there's times when people don't need to train to failure. We need to figure out what their volume is and this and that. Um, so I never really think about, okay, here's these phases. We're going to go here. Then we're going to taper this up and taper this down and work with proximity to failure and all that. Or again, with this individual, I just don't have that template in my brain to start. I'm just like, well, what do we have? And then we just kind of start going from there. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot of information out there. And again, it's the same with a lot of things. It just, it, it requires a little bit of critical thinking and some nuance. Um, and, but then also the whole double-edged sword to all that is like, I, I can say that at the same time it's not as big of a deal as people make it out to be, <laughs> you know, it's some of the stuff is like, you know, just be aware. Can I have better form? Great. Keep that in mind always. You know, can I train harder? Yes. Everyone can train harder. Keep that in mind. Always find something that you like and adhere to it and then just get to work. And, um, and it takes a good filter for people. Like there's nothing wrong with information. Like I can look at stuff all day. I could look at something that just basically completely contradicts something I'm doing and not have a freaking panic attack and not going to the gym the next day and have paralysis by analysis. Yeah. I would just put it somewhere like, I'm going to keep an eye on this. I'd still go to the gym the next day and I'd try and build upon what I had done the last session and then just keep analyzing and looking at that information that I've taken in and over time, make, maybe make some, you know, uh, unemotional, um, adjustments, you know, slowly or steadily, how would I actually make changes in the gym based off of this new piece of information where I think a lot of people, because you can sit around and look online for six hours, you can just kind of do this thing like, Oh, I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna try that. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. And, and especially get people, let, go ahead yeah that's probably the most in-depth answer i've, I've got from <laughs> the programming which is yeah. fantastic but th that's sort of kind of you pretty much answered the next question which was the, the most sort of common mistakes you feel people made i think what you just said it's kind of like paralysis by overanalysis and 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 over things because yeah. i'm sure you did a recent instagram post or video on it about i think it was terence's new split and how you weren't going to try and reinvent the wheel but do you feel that perhaps people are trying to do that these days with programming, do you feel that's maybe one of the most common mistakes or is the most common mistake simply just pure execution? Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. So, I mean, the whole thing is, uh, again, the it's it's a tough one to answer um, because because people are involved. I think that's really the issue. So, yeah, there, there's, definitely, there's definitely a notion that there are groups of people that overcomplicate things. Um, but I think the bigger issue with every group or team or whatever – is the existence of groups and teams and is what is, what is the thing that creates the existence of groups and teams? It's emotion. Um, because again, I honestly couldn't say what's what, if there's a team or if there's a more common mistake, I don't think there is one. And what I mean by that is you will have on one side of it, um, the group that has it in their brain where it's like, just keep it basic, keep it simple, you know, hardcore progressive overload, 
don't overcomplicate it. And the reality is that's it's, it's idiotic to think the whole question with all of that, where that's just ego saying that is, could anyone honestly say that you think everything you're doing in the gym is perfect? You know, can anybody honestly say that what you think Ronnie Coleman did was perfect? We should all emulate Ronnie Coleman. It's like, well, I mean, obviously for Ronnie Coleman, if his end goal was to have eight Olympias, then what he did was perfect for him. That being said, I don't, I don't know if he would say it was perfect, but I mean, I read some things about, obviously he said he broke his back squatting and then he kept squatting after that. I mean, in my brain, it's like, well, could you have potentially had eight Mr. Olympias without breaking your back without continually injuring your back? Maybe. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, he's got eight Olympias. He probably doesn't give a shit. He's just making the best of what he's got with life now. And is a happy guy, but it's things like that where people were like, okay, the hardcore group that's don't overcomplicate, just progressive overload, just whatever. The reality is because of their ego and because of emotion, they could be presented with something that's definitively better and, and anything that you could potentially write out or just have a logical discussion about it. Um, but they would reject it again, based off of emotion, based off the fact that they've built their principles aren't actually built off of principles and logic and things like that. It's built off of things that make them feel warm and fuzzy about their emotion and the other side of their ego. And the other side of that is then you get the people that are doing the same thing over complicating shit. And that's the, that's the tough part. So again, the funny thing I think is, you know, again, you have groups of people that write a whole lot about, you know, if we're looking at the, um, again, I hate to say groups of people where I'm, um, cause there's a lot of people that do it, but people that use things like, you know, the um, reps in reserve and undulate their volume and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. And it's especially brilliant for people that their limiting factors. They're always right on the edge of recovery. Right. Sure. So again, if you're, if you're really trying to, oh, I've really got to manage all this stuff and I'm going to look at my, you know, my sleep patterns and my HRV and blah, blah, and all this kind of stuff, that stuff is so valuable and so important. The problem is people that emotionally, you have people that if my limiting factor is I don't like working hard. And so if I don't like working hard because it hurts, it doesn't feel good. It's uncomfortable. My limiting factor is my gym performance. Sometimes those people will find groups where they're going to kind of pick and choose the stuff that they want to hear. So it's like, oh, they will find this group recovery has never been their limiting issue. They've made mediocre results because they train again, like a cupcake in a gym and they'll find this group of people that says, Oh my gosh, I got to look at, I got to really pay attention to reps and reserve. I don't want to get close to this maximum. I'm all oh, exceeded my maximum recovery volume. Oh, I don't want to ever train to failure. And that's not what that group is saying at all. Um, but that's what they'll take it and they'll read it and they'll interpret it as. And so the funny thing is the groups were whatever your limiting factor is based off of emotion. So again, if you're the dumb, dumb meathead that can just taking in any new information is bad you'll find some group that seems to support that thought. And even if that's not entirely what they're saying, you'll just latch onto the parts. You'll just only hear the parts that reinforce the things that you already feel and make you feel good about yourself. And the same thing on the other side of that. So the same thing on whether it's, well, and I look at the group that really monitors recovery and tracks that you'll have somebody that's never the limiting factor. And so they, they think, Oh, here's my maximal recovery. They think they're here, but they're, they've been here and they've never gotten past that their entire life. So they'll just sit here in this group and train way easier than they should be training. And it's the same with execution groups. So some people want to lump me in or other people, oh, well, those are the execution people. And again, if you really look at what the execution people are saying is we're never saying, we're never discounting progressive overload. We're never discounting doing the, you know, big bang for your buck movements. We're never saying that this pump work bullshit squeezy shit is more important than, you know, doing this kind of stuff. But people will find that group and be like, oh yeah, weight doesn't matter. I don't need to lift heavy. And be like, I didn't say that, but they'll latch onto the things that they think I'm saying and just pick that and make them feel warm and fuzzy about it. So you know, it's, I don't think it's, are there people overcomplicating stuff? Absolutely. Are there people undercomplicating stuff? If that is a thing. Um, absolutely. And I think people that just do best and it's, that's a lot, man. I mean, it's actually one of the things that if I'm, if I looking into doing more and more continuing education on, it's just like, um, I mean, 
psychology is a very interesting thing to me. Like what makes people do what people do. Um, and it's probably made up a bigger part of my continuing education at this point of just, you know, if I'm going to read something educational, not that I'll ever stop because I'll still always do something training related and just as the nut, you know, the X's and O's, nuts and bolts, biomechanics, I will do some continuing education on that every single year without fail, but it's not to make this sound whatever, but there's not a, I, I don't feel like there's a ton out there now that I'm missing to help 99.9% of people as far as the actual nuts and bolts. I feel like the more interesting thing or limiting factor now to help people is more just having people deal with the psychology of why do they do things and realizing that I'm never going to go to school for it. I don't think so. So I'm not really qualified to help people with that stuff, but just having better awareness of it and why that's a big limiting factor for people, I think is huge. I mean, I think that is the biggest problem in the industry that prevents people from results is their emotion and the, the bad emotion, you know, is ego and insecurity and things like that. Um, where again, if it's like the, the joke is I'll have somebody say, Oh, what are you putting a band on a hack squat for or whatever? And I'll be like, you know, that's overcomplicating things. And I'll be like, well, I've never actually had someone that I've taken through a set on that properly that ever said I was overcomplicating things afterwards. It's like, when you actually do things that in my opinion, if again, if your goal is more stimulus that are definitively better and you really can't make anything logically to kind of debate that it's just more stimulus period. Uh, once you actually kind of go through it, you'll be like, oh, okay. Like it's just, it's, it's horrible and it's awesome. Um, and again, it's people that kind of knock it or just, it's fear of change. It's something different. It's, oh, that's whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and then, and again, that kind of stuff cracks me up. And so you'll have somebody like, I'll take three minutes. It's, I, I said something about this the other day where it's, um, people don't, you, you have to have, if you really want to know you're making the right decisions, your, your principles that you make decisions by, they have to be consistent. You can't, you can't say one thing and stick with it here, but don't stick with it over here. Like my joke is someone will say like, don't, don't reinvent the wheel or don't overcomplicate things. Or like, why the hell are you putting a band on something? Like nobody, what, what's the point of that? And I'm like, you can't, you can't say that if you're going into a gym and you're using some equipment that somebody else built for you. You know what I mean? Like you're just assuming that some random person that built this shit, people say, cause I'm, I'm technically, I'm building a machine. I'm, I'm changing something by adding a band to something. In my opinion, I'm improving it. And it may take, it may cost me $10 and it may take the first time, let's say hypothetically, give someone it takes 10 minutes. And after that, it takes 10 seconds. So someone says, Oh my gosh, you, what are you doing all that for? You're doing this extra stuff and you got to build it all that. And I'm like, you know, that the equipment you use, even if you just use a barbell, it, it took actual engineers to design it. It took an actual manufacturing plant to build it. I mean, this is not, we're not, if you're comparing picking up rocks and logs to what I'm doing, then yes, rocks and logs are more basic or primal, but your barbell is not. You, you had to have all these people involved to make this stuff. It's more complicated than me taking five minutes to put a band on there. And so people really detach. It's like, well, you can't, again, unless you're in your backyard picking up rocks and logs, that's not a consistent principle you're actually adhering to. You're using stuff every single day that's extremely complicated to make. You couldn't have done it yourself. It's not primal. It's not basic. It's not like in our DNA, we got little barbells floating around in there. And so that's one of the things that kind of bothers me is about people that will use that kind of logic. And the thing that funny thing too, is people don't realize this is the actual very funny thing about it is most people, the glory days of bodybuilding is, you know, eighties, nineties. I think everybody kind of agrees. It's the nineties. Everybody kind of looks at that nineties were the best. The physiques were the best. And people even talk about the equipment was the best in the nineties, which I would agree with. And people are like, Oh, this is the best. This is the best Nautilus pullover. This is the best leg press ever made. This is the best hack ever made. And the funny thing is people now, because of nostalgia, will like because the, it was, it's okay to say that because the 90s were so hardcore and that's where bodybuilding was the best. But they don't realize that's probably the last time in the industry where money was spent on people that had biomechanics qualifications designing equipment. 
So the reason that someone likes this Nautilus piece or this like carrying piece or this Cybex piece better than some garbage that we have today is actually because more time and effort was actually put into building it and designing it with biomechanics in mind. And so that's the irony is like, well, at the same time you're saying I'm overcomplicating, but you're choosing to do that Nautilus pullover as opposed to this hoist pullover or matrix pullover or whatever, some shit brand pullover. The reason you're pr- providing, you prefer that one is because someone put a lot of time and effort into actually building it based around the things that will make it biomechanically better for most people. Um, so yeah, that's a whole, it's a whole mess of shit. But I think if people could actually just kind of simmer down and get past their insecurities, their ego or whatever, uh, and just have a little bit more of an open, open mind to just, you know, look at, Oh, this could potentially be your limiting factor. I think everybody would make way better results, you know? Yeah. And I think your, your point about say two different camps was it takes us right into the next question and it's reference to banding a machine. Um, I'm sure you coined this phrase and it was, uh, I saw, um, I think it was a bodybuilder in the UK that I think, I don't know if he gave you credit, but I think certainly saw it from you, which was that we don't drive horse carriages anymore. We drive Ferraris. And it was in reference to a, an old school bodybuilder said, why are you, you banning that machine? You don't need to ban that machine anymore, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. could you just talk us through that? I know you pretty much just talked us through it, but talk us through yeah. that process because I'm sure it was yourself who coined that phrase, right? Yeah. No, I don't think I coined that. So whoever said that, kudos to them. They got it. Um, right. No, I, I don't. I got, I got to come up with something kind of fancy or cool with that, right? So I can fit in. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's like I said, if it's the whole thing that I think is, and again, it can seem complicated. I think that's part of the problem too. And I, and I try and, depending on how you look at it, even listening to this, someone's going to listen to it, like, why does this guy talk so damn much? You know, so there's this weird balance of if I talk a lot, it's to attempt to paint a complete picture, right? It would be easier for me to say, hey, this camp's dumb, this camp's dumb, and here's why. Where I'd like, I'd rather just say that whole mess of shit for 10 minutes to give you some actual context. Cause that's the thing. The thing that should be complicated is people, right? So when I'm talking about a subject and I can't answer it in less than 10 minutes, it's because in my brain, I'm going through the actual people experience doing these things on paper, which are short, quick, and easy to either praise or dismiss or whatever it is. Um, you know, so th- there's a problem where think people, I think would look at it and be like, Oh, why is this talking so much or complicated? If there's something that is relatively complicated and I try and make uncomplicated is coaching experience, like working with a bunch of individuals, that shit is complicated. I don't want to dismiss. I mean, so anyone that's been a trainer and worked with people for five years, 10 years, 20 years plus, they know that that's a hard to replace skill set. You, you can't, you can't take a course and figure that or whatever it is like that is hard. That is a level of expertise. But the other side of that is I think there's a lot of like gatekeeping out there where again, that is some of the problem with some of these things where people try and make things. I mean, I don't want things to be more complicated. I know someone might look at a band and say, wow, that's complicated. What, what? And then I could just get super complicated. I might, I might technically use terms sometimes just to be accurate. But the reality is I just tell people, I'm like, it's, it's about efficiency. And people think about, people think about training. They think about, you know, they think about, they know they have to work hard. They know they have to do, you know, whether they think about force production, they got to lift heavy weights, they got to challenge the muscle, but really like profiles and bands and shit are about challenging your body as much as possible through an entire range of motion. I mean, that's really what it comes down to people. Like I need to train through full range of motion. I need to train hard and heavy. But realize a missing component is, again, if efficiency is your goal, you need to train through full range of motion hard everywhere with, uh, again, the thing that's coined from RTS is with, um, what did they say, with appropriate load challenge. Like range of motion is only important if it has accompanied by appropriate load challenge. So if I'm going through, if I'm going from A to B, my body's capable of doing something in A to B. And on certain exercises, it's not even so much 
people will look and they'll attach to the wrong thing. Most of the problems where you would want a band or something like that is because you're under training something. You're literally moving through motion where you're not challenging yourself as much as possible. Like in my opinion, if you're going to do this exercise that moves, you know, through two feet of space and only six inches of it is actually challenging what your body's capable of doing. Well, what the hell is the point of that other 18 inches? What's the point of the other 75% of it? Either one, the easiest way to fix a profile if you don't have bands and shit is stay in the range that's fucking hard. And, or if you use a band and set up properly, we're just making the entire range hard. So the easiest example is like, oh, why would you ever put a band on a hack? It's like, cause people inherently know people, whether they know it or not. And it wants to, uh, this is why I try and make it uncomplicated is what part of a squat is fucking hard. I mean, how many times have you seen in a gym, someone put four or five on their back and just stay in the top 25% of the range of motion. Yeah. And what do you think about that? You think, oh, there's someone. And, and if you say, well, what do you think about that form? Like, oh, it's crap. Well, why is it crap? Well, they're cheating. Well, why are they cheating? Well, cause they're staying at the top. Well, what the hell does that have to do anything? What if the same, is it, is it cause they're only moving through six inches of space? Yeah. That's not it. Because what if you saw the same person with four or five on their back do 10 reps in the bottom six inches of a squat? You'd be like, holy fuck, that's yeah. fucking hard. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's four or five and it's six inches. What difference does it make? Yeah. And people are like, oh, wait, I got to fucking think now because distance traveled isn't always the same and loads not always the same. The bottom half is harder because of profile things, because of this moment arm thing. And so again, if I look at somebody, it's like, look, you can, you don't have to band a hack. But maybe if you're doing a hack or maybe if you're doing a squat, maybe you just stay in, it doesn't have to be the bottom 25%, but maybe you stay in the bottom 50%. That's efficiency. I'm going to go and I'm going to pick up weights and I'm going to move. I'm going to stay where this is actually the most efficient stimulus or the highest level of stimulus on my body. Whereas if you go, okay, we've just established, we know the top of a squat is easy. The bottom of a squat is hard. We can't change that because of this moment arm thing, this profile thing, just the way that joints stack relative to load thing. Well, what can we do if I know this is, this is the hard part down here. This is the light part up here. Well, what if I can make this part up here heavier? Okay, well, we can't change the stacking thing. We can't change this profile thing, but I can make this part heavier. And that's, that's the end of the story. It's like, okay, well, how the hell can I make this part heavier? And again, the thing that people don't think about, they'll look at me putting a band on a hack and be like, oh gosh, that's overly complicated, blah, blah. But again, they'll go choose a leg extension or a chest piece or whatever. Someone that knows how to train hard and knows what things are going to feel like will inherently choose machines or exercises for the most part that have better profiles. So if you, again, you choose this Nautilus leg curl over this hoist leg curl, lots of times the reasons you're choosing it is because it just somebody built it smart with a better profile. Yeah. You like it because it's actually harder over the whole range of motion. Most people like, that's the thing about, for people that want to train hard, bands and stuff are, it's, it's kind of like, that's what I think has helped me if I work with a bodybuilder or somebody that's, you know, already has an impressive physique. It's like, well, how the hell, well, how do I sell them on a band? I don't have to sell them on shit. I'll just take them through a session. And when they feel how it feels, they're like, holy shit, that's the hardest set I've ever had in my life on hack squats. There you go. They're sold. And so that's really when you have bands, when you have all that shit, it's just awareness of what the hell you actually training for. Um, and again, some of it's just me. If somebody, again, the, the, the nature of a hack and putting plates on it, you can't, you can't change the profile. There's not cams and things. So that's what the whole point of a band is. But it's the same reason someone would choose a machine that feels better. This old school knowledge piece over this new shit. That's the re the same reason I use bands is the same reason you're choosing that old school, cool piece. So again, if people are just a little detached from it and realize, Oh, I like things that are harder then you should probably like properly set up bands, you know, where they're appropriate on certain things. Absolutely. Again, another episode where you've dropped a, a heck of a lot of knowledge bombs in complete limits terms that people can absorb, digest, and I'm sure thank you for it. But for those of you, those that perhaps haven't listened to that first episode, I'm going to say go back and listen to it. For those that haven't, could you perhaps let them know where they can kind of get in touch with you, find out about your education, maybe maybe join your Delph Maker, tell us what that Delph Maker is about. Um, yeah. 
if you could just level more info, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if, if people aren't familiar with my stuff, I think the best platform to start with is my Instagram. So just hypertrophy coach um, again, search that on Instagram. Um, and that's again, a good kind of uh, that's my most regularly updated like social media platform and content. So I'll put information out there every single day. So you get a feel of like, again, if you listen to this whole deal and you're like, I don't want to ever listen to this guy talk again, then you don't need to look up any of my stuff. Uh, but if you like, obviously again, trying to create some good context and, try and give some valuable information. I, I put stuff on Instagram regularly. Um, and then from there, I'm actually trying to be pretty, I'm kind of trying to revitalize my, my YouTube. The only issue I ever had with that literally is just people having good, consistent video guys and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but I've got hopefully somebody good right now. Um, and so my YouTube's kind of being pretty consistent. Um, and so if you like the stuff on Instagram, if you like the stuff on YouTube, um, then again, through Instagram, you can find in my profile links to most of my stuff. Um, so again, my, I have an app that's probably my main thing, uh, which my app, and again, is having a, a bit of an evolution this month to something pretty cool. But I say that's mainly, that's going to be my main thing for the actual, I actually want some of your stuff. Like this all sounds good. Like I want better workouts. I want this all stuff applied. That's what I'm trying to really turn my app, keep going in the direction of it's about workouts. It's about workouts. It's about programs. It's about, you know, am I doing the best stuff on paper? And then again, with the stuff that will actually impact gym decisions. So information on there about, you know, execution and how should I do this and stuff like that, where it's literally more so about like, am I going into the gym? Am I doing the best stuff on paper? And am I knowing how to do the things well? Am I knowing how to do things hard? Um, and then I'm, I, I have, so on there now is a huge amount of education as well too. So there is a lot of the nuts and bolts and biomechanics and things like that on that app. Uh, but again, that's going to continue to change and evolve where that's going to be more towards working out and then eventually having maybe a little bit of a different platform for education. And then, yeah, I made this uh, a joke because I have a DILF maker program uh, that I actually made. The, the funny thing is I made that for uh, with my best friend in mind. So I've, I've had a best friend since I was 14. Um, and he's by all intensive purposes, a normal person. So again, everything that I, my whole view of training and working out is as far from normal as you can possibly get. Uh, but he's just the normal person. He's got a wife. He's got three daughters. Um, him and his wife both work full time. Um, and he was kind of for him by his terms, just out of shape. And so it was kind of fun for me because he wanted me to help him get back in shape. And he was actually my first training partner. So that's the funny, the cool part too. When we were 14 and 15, I think 15 is when we actually started training. We trained together for you know a few years in high school. And uh, so anyway, I built a program with someone like him in mind, which is he just wants a garage gym. So he basically got some equipment for a garage gym. Um, he wants to look good, have muscle, be lean, but isn't necessarily into this whole bodybuilding type thing, uh, but just still wants solid programming and all that stuff. So it's basically a program for guys that have garage gyms, you know, that want workouts that are less than an hour um, and maybe three to four workouts a week. Um, and again, just look by most guys standards, look good. I mean, look like you clearly have muscle and be lean, but again, maybe not this bodybuilder type thing. Um, and that's a monthly programming thing. So that's basically every single month. I mean, I joke like that's my from the outside, it's not as much of a passion product for me because I like the nerd shit, but that's actually probably one of my best products because it's just, it's monthly programming. It's really good stuff. Uh, it's very simple. It's pretty, it's easy to follow. So it's again, made a little bit more for normal people. So that's the joke with that one. That's not really actually, technically, again, I actually keep doing, it doesn't actually make a whole lot of sense for me from a business standpoint because it's kind of out of my demographic a little bit. Um, but again, it was fun for me because I did most of it. Like I used him as like the demo model. So I film a lot of the content with him and I used him as the guinea pig through a lot of the programming before I launched it. Um, and so for me, it's fun. So it's like, well, I just update programming on this uh, monthly talk with a group of guys that are involved with it. And um, so again, just kind of, I, I built it for the needs of a best friend. And then um, that was my thought process. I'm doing all this for him. And I'm like, man, I'm just going to turn this. I mean, I honestly, it's like, well, I'm going to help you. Might as well try and make some money along the way. Yeah. And, um, and again, so I, and I, again, like same with everything, obviously, I think it's a great, I think it's a great product and I think it has a lot of value behind it. So 
but anyway, all that crap is in my uh, Instagram profile. So if you go through there, you can see some of my stuff and see some of my offerings. Um, but again, that's uh, all of it's the, the notion. Again, there's no mystery between uh, behind my, my business plan is I want to help a lot of people and all of my products and everything that I offer is uh, pretty, pretty reasonably priced. So again, my app is cheap. Even the monthly programming is like $30 a month um, for the Delft maker. So it's not, it's not very expensive in my opinion at all for monthly programming. Um, and again, they're in my opinion, both I'm biased, but they're both pretty good products. And you know, I think at least as a bare minimum, you get your money's worth from those things. So. Absolutely. I thought it was, it was definitely fitting to mention that considering that here in the UK, everyone's trained from the garage. Ain't nobody. Trained yeah. from the so, and there's a lot of dads that I'm sure that are homeschooling like you are that, that are in love with fitness. And, and yeah. love, to, love to look good. So um, a massive thank you from myself and the listeners and everyone here in the UK. Please continue doing what you're doing. Um, it's inspiring. I was buzzing you back in the podcast and I'm sure that at some point again we'll, we'll hook up soon but um, I can honestly say that I think I speak for the both of me and yourself let me say that wherever you are whatever you do give it the beans